welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This week, Joe Maroney from Always Grind 365 Notebooks jumps on with me on the podcast, and we cover a lot of different topics. He and I are kindred spirits, uh, both under-recruited players coming out of high school, and from his experiences, uh, we talk about his time at Kansas, playing for Rich Price, and then his time in independent ball. He also played for Greg Tagger, uh, two of my favorite baseball people that are out there and, and Greg Taggart and Rich Price. We talk about journaling. Uh, we get on a variety of topics uh, and also teams and individuals that are using the notebooks. And we talk about his experience as a player and what brought him uh, to a lot of what he believes in and with the company that, that he runs and always grinds. Uh, I think you're really going to get a lot out of this uh, or bring a lot of really good content and uh, real-world applications uh, for the notebook. Uh, so, again, thanks for listening in, and hopefully enjoy the podcast. Thanks. We're here with Joe Maroney uh, from Always Grind 365 uh, Notebooks, and Joe, appreciate you jumping on with me on a, on a Saturday, taking your time out on a Saturday to, to record with me. Yes, sir. Ryan, thank you so much. Pleasure and uh, honor to be on the podcast with you here today. And, you know, like you said, I think the times right now, I mean, almost every day is a Saturday, you know, so, <laughs> uh, you know, no problem and, and happy to join you. And, and I know you've been on a couple other ones, and I, I like getting right into it. You know, let's go – I want to dive right into – I haven't done this with a lot of people, but I do want to give people your background a little bit, and I do want to dive right into it. Um, and, and you were around two of my favorite baseball guys, one in Rich Price and then Greg Taggart, which we'll get into. But I want to talk about Coach Price. You know, what, you're from California. What brought you to, to go to the University of Kansas? Yeah, so kind of a interesting story. Um, I'll try and keep it as simple as possible. So pretty much how it all unfolded was, you know, I grew up here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I, I currently reside here as well, and uh, grew up in a pretty good baseball area, good talent pool for recruiting, <clears throat> and I was, um, you know, getting the right exposure, doing all the right things. But wasn't really highly recruited out of high school. Um, not sure why. Just probably, I mean, I was an undersized guy, kind of a late bloomer, um, if you will. So, you know, all that plays a part. But the long story short of it was, you know, going into my senior year, I was unrecruited doing all the, you know, the senior camps and stuff like that. And went to a senior camp at um, Santa Clara University. It was probably midway through, or you know what, it was January of my senior year. So after that camp, you know, I, I kind of had a recruited walk-on offer, and that was really my only offer um, at the Division One level. Knew I wanted to go play D1 baseball, and once that offer, you know, was laid out on the table, you know, I took it. And about three-quarters of the way through my high school season, um, the coaching staff at Santa Clara at the time um, they were relieved of their duties. So with a recruited walk-on opportunity, that usually means 
that the new coaching staff doesn't have to adhere to that. So I was pretty much, I, I did, didn't know where I was going, you know, with a couple weeks left in, in the high school season. Um, but yeah, keeping the long story short of it, I skipped class a couple of days, built, built out like a, a contact list of, of schools that, you know, I hadn't reached out to and kind of sent them all the information. So that information got to, uh, Rich Price, Skip at, at KU. And because he has had a tenure, you know, as long as he had, he was coaching at Cal Poly and the, the coaching staff at Santa Clara and, and himself actually had a good relationship. So they were able to kind of send over some more information about myself. And it was one of those things to where, you know, it was like, Hey, we could enroll you in school. You can come walk on during the fall and earn a roster spot at the university of Kansas. And, um, you know, that was something I wanted to do. I knew I was a division one player and kind of took that risk and walked on and, and, uh, you know, was able to earn a roster spot and was able to be there for five years. So, you know, very happy. I took that risk and obviously skip is, Rich Price is a, is a great guy to play for, great players coach, and has been around the game for a long time. So um, kind of summarizing everything, it was one of the best decisions I made for my baseball career in terms of development and obviously going to having the opportunity to go play at the Big 12 level and, um, you know, how a great university at, like the University of Kansas is. So one of the best decisions I made by far. You and I have a lot of parallels because I didn't decide to go to Evansville till after I'd graduated from high school, had some other schools I was looking at, and just nothing really felt right at the time and was a, you know, a preferred walk-on. And my, my scholarship was academic-based, so I was not on any athletic aid. And I go way back with Coach Price. After I graduated from Evansville, I worked the youth education through sports clinic that the NCAA would run for the College World Series. Uh, my dad and I actually went, and it's a great experience. They don't have it anymore, but the the Yes Clinic was awesome because it was held on Creighton's campus, and each coach that worked it could bring a player with them if they wanted. And so my dad actually brought two. It was me and Kyle Ritter, who was my freshman roommate, who's an orthopedic surgeon now, but... When we would ride to the clinic, uh, Coach Price was at Cal Poly at the time. He would ride with us, so that was my first experience. And um, I just was impressed with his energy level that early in the morning. You know, we're riding over there at 7 o'clock in the morning to get ready for the camp, and he's he's already at a 10, which was impressive for me. And then a, as I got into the coaching profession, you know, especially when I was a, a head coach at Western Illinois, he was in charge of the Midwest for the NCAA. So I would have a lot of talks with him. And now with everything that's going on with the eligibility stuff and trying to figure out what, what each school is going to do, he and I have had multiple talks as well. So I I just love his energy. Uh, you don't have as many guys like him anymore that have been doing it for a long time. He's in it for the right reasons. You know, he's always got great insight on, on what he's doing. And just from the outside looking in, you know, we – when I was at Iowa, we played Kansas. When I was at Western, we played Kansas. Uh, just from the outside looking in, you could tell that he'd be a great guy to play for. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like you're like you're saying, he brings the energy day in and day out. You can never tell if there's anything going on on the outside world with him. You know, every single day. You know, it's all about whether in the stretching lines, you know, he's getting all fired up doing fist pumps while we're stretching. He's just fired up to be on the baseball field. And, 
that's something that I will always remember that that Skip uh, would bring bring to the table day in and day out. And you know, he'd always say it's a great day to be a Jayhawk, whether it was you know five degrees outside and we're plowing snow, or if it's a beautiful you know spring day and we got we're playing Texas. So you know, he he just uh, it speaks volumes in in my eyes. And, you know, what a great guy to play for. And, you know, him and I talk as much as we possibly can just because he's, you know, I, I, he's a text away. He's a phone call away. And, you know, we, to have that relationship after playing for him, you know, just speaks volumes to what kind of coach he is. So, you know, very fortunate to have played for a guy like that and a guy who's been, you know, doing it for, shoot, you know, 30 plus years now. And he was always great from a guarantee standpoint. You know, he's never forgotten where he came from. So when he was dealing with smaller schools, he was always great with trying to take care of you from a guarantee standpoint. We played him three years ago. It was a really tough spring three years ago. Uh, obviously not right, not like now, but the weather was, was brutal in the Midwest three springs ago. So everybody had lost a lot of games. So we actually picked up a midweek slate with them after the regular season and before the conference tournament had started and it was a brutal day to play it rained the entire time uh and then we stayed over and worked out there the next day and that's how gracious he is that he let us stay the next day and work out before we had to Doral Roberts to play and I'm out there working out with the guys and then we're doing a little bit of yoga and I've got my shoes off on the turf and uh, you could tell he walked by and he's laughing at me because I've got my shoes <laughs> off doing yoga with our guys um, but I was like, Skip, you're probably used to this cause you're from California originally. So you, you're used to the yoga scene probably, but you know, he just, uh, the high energy part of him, um, I've always been impressed with, you know, with your walk on experience, uh, I, I think about this a lot. I was in that same situation. I've, I recruited and coached a lot of really good, either low money or no money players what was that experience like for you when you got to Kansas being a walk-on? Uh, good question. So obviously with a, you know, a power five conference like K or excuse me, the big 12 is, you know, you're bringing in a lot of awesome talent throughout the entire country. And for me, not having to, you know, not being too recruited out of high school, but Having, having the ability to play in, in California where, you know, the competition level could be a little bit higher just because you're able to get on the field a lot more, say, compared to, you know, a Northeast high school or anything like that. Um, so at the, the level of play in terms of like the recruiting class I was coming in with, you know, I felt I, I wasn't that far away, but it was more of a maturity standpoint for me. Like I was saying, you know, I was a pretty late bloomer. I didn't really become you know, fully developed physically, you know, probably until my junior year, um, where I took a redshirt year and even took that year to, you know, put on some more uh, weight and can get more developed from a physical standpoint. Um, but you know, walking on is tough, especially when you don't have it, you know, a guaranteed spot, you know, whether you're sharing a locker with somebody else and, you know, you're trying to make your way and, and find a way. But for me, it was, as soon as I got on campus there, okay, how can I become an asset to this team? You know, I'm not going to be a guy that's going to be starting right away. So I knew for me to try and get playing time, I would, you know, have to come in for, to become a, a pinch runner. Or I had to come in and become a defensive replacement. One of my strengths was, was defense in the outfield. So th 
those are the two things that I focused on, especially in the fall to try and main, to try and gain a roster spot. So just kind of going balls to the wall, if you will, you know, during BP even, you know, to try and show that, Hey, you know, I'm, I could be a defense replacement guy or, um, just trying to, trying to become an asset, I guess, if I was what I'm trying to get at. And the recruiting class that we had, uh, my year was one of the best recruiting classes that KU had at the time. And we had guys, I, I think every single guy that I was competing against in my class, who's an outfielder, they all played, they all got drafted and they all played professional baseball. So, um, yeah, just I think if, if anybody else is in kind of my position when you walk on, you know, you kind of figure out, okay, how could I become an asset to this team? And then also, where can I improve to where I can become a guy by year three, year two, year three? Um, so that's kind of the mindset I took walking on, especially at KU. You know, oh, shoot, like I'm my freshman year, I'll never forget it. One of the, I made the travel, travel squad and we're going to go play Texas. And, you know, it was everything that, I dreamed of as a kid, you know, growing up watching Texas play, play in the college world series. And I looking across the dugout and there's Augie Garrido, right? So it hits you pretty, pretty quick and it hits you pretty hard, but you know, you have playing for, for guys like skip, you know, you had those kind of, uh, those, those, uh, those lines and, and guidelines to where, okay, this is where you, what you need to do to become a, a player at, at the big 12 level. And I always just bought into that and, and believe I had to work as hard as I possibly could to try and become that, uh, you know, that player by my junior year. So that's kind of what my game plan was. You know, now you, you see it uh, with, with the rules that have been put in place at the Division One level with the roster cap, with the 25% rule. And those were put in place when I was at Iowa. You know, before that, you, you could take a flyer um, on a kid and, and give him a book scholarship. Or, you know, I think this is something that people don't know as much about Division One baseball because of the roster cap and, and only carrying 35 and only having 27 scholarship players. You're going to have players that play and pitch that are not on any baseball money at all. And that's the, the very unique thing about division one baseball that some people don't know about that. Um, some guys are going to be on no money. that are going to be huge contributors and might be all conference might be all Americans that are on no money. Or you may have a guy who, um, you know, when you look at the averages, you're talking about 45% is, is usually the average. So majority of division one baseball players are paying their, a lot of their education. Um, and I think that that makes it a little bit easier at times for a non-scholarship guy because very rarely is there going to be a guy pay, paying no money to go to school. So I think it breeds itself to have guys uh, that are going to be productive performers on either side of the baseball that are on no money. And that's a very unique thing to Division One baseball that some people may not know about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you're good enough, you're going to play. So Exactly. And, you know, there's obviously, you know, you can kind of look at it and sure, there's there's some politics that go into it for sure. But at the end of the day, if you're good enough and you can contribute and the coach can see that, you know, you're going to have your opportunities um, to play. And the other thing, too, in terms of, you know, financially, like it's it's tough, if, especially, you know, I, I didn't see a single single dime from from the University of Kansas to, to play. And, you know, whether it's 
there's opportunities for you to, to, to make some money, you know, during the week, you can go work camps. Like you can, there's, there's different opportunities. I mean, some guys even tutor too, to try and make some extra money to, you know, for food or whatever it may be. And, um, you know, there's always ways, there's always ways. So I always try and tell people, you know, when you're, especially high school guys, like if you want to go play at the next level, there's ample amounts of opportunities for you to do that. And there might be some sacrifices that you need to make. Like if when I, obviously I'm here in California, I talk to a lot of high school players and a lot of them don't want to leave California, right? Or they think they're good enough to go play at UCLA or they're good enough to go play on the West coast. So maybe Oregon state, right? Like those two programs, you know, those are everyone's dream school out here because those guys win. But at the same time, there's so many schools east of the Mississippi and a lot of guys aren't willing to make the sacrifice to go reach out to even just try and reach out to these schools because they don't want to make the move. So the question that all these guys, especially at the high school level, have to ask themselves, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice to go play at that next level? And I try and I try and preach that as much as I can, because at the end of the day, you're, you're still playing the same game, whether it's in California, whether it's in Alabama or New York, wherever it may be. Um, and there's just there's so many opportunities out there. So I always try and tell guys, hey, don't limit yourself. I didn't know I was going to go play in Kansas. I'd never been to Kansas. You know, I, it was pretty much a drop of the hat thing. And it ended up being one of the best decisions of my life. You know, you gotta, you gotta try and rip. There's some risk involved in it for sure. Um, so I always try and preach to high school guys, you know, never take an opportunity for granted. If you have an opportunity to go play whatever, if it's division one, division two, NAIA, and it's out of state, um, you know, tr- if you're able to do it financially, you, you gotta, you gotta do it because you never know when your opportunities are going to, there won't, there won't be any more opportunity, you know? So if you have an opportunity, go do it. And what I would try to stress to, to parents and, and players during the recruiting process is try to find the right fit and, and look at the school itself first. Uh, you know, a, a big school like Kansas, that's not going to be for every kid. Uh, you know, I didn't look at any schools that were over 6,000 students because I knew I was going to get eaten alive if I went to a bigger school, I needed a smaller education. So I, I looked at the size of the schools first and then tried to figure out uh, um, maybe some range of majors that were going to work for me and then try to figure out the baseball side of it. And, and every mm-hmm. kid's situation is going to be different. And the most important thing is is trying to find the right fit and then find a place where, yeah, you may not play right away, but at some point you're going to get on the field because that that matters as well, unless baseball is not that important to you. And, and then that's a completely different conversation. But if baseball is important to you, there is going to be some level out there of baseball for you to go play at. And yes, it may not be Division One baseball. And, and that's not the end-all, be-all at the end of the, the day for some kids too, because you went through it, I went through it. The time commitment to be good at that level is is different. And it is a 24-hour-a-day deal, um, and you have to be passionate about all of it if you do want to play it at the higher levels um, because, it, again, it's not for everybody, and that's okay. It's okay to, to have that in the back of your mind. Like, if you want to make those sacrifices to do it, that's great, but if it's, if it's not really in your, your nature to do that, then, then go decide to do something else or pick a different school um, because it isn't for everybody. And I know everybody gets enamored with the Division One side of things. There's great baseball experiences at every level. 
And 100%. I try I try to tr- stress that to a lot of parents and players. Is it's not the end all be all. Find the right fit. Find the school that's going to be the right fit academically, socially, and then figure out the baseball side of it. Uh, because as we're seeing now, so many kids transfer out of schools. Um, part of it is they probably picked the school for the wrong reasons. And, um, you know, the main thing is you should be at a place where you want to be. And then, yeah, it may not always be rosy. It's never going to be rosy the entire time during your college playing experience. You're going to have a lot of ups and downs. So just make sure that you're you're checking all the boxes of what you're actually looking for in a school. You know, and, and with what you you have going now with the Always Grind 365 notebooks, you know, you and I've talked about journaling. What led you to journaling? So it was, it was kind of something and it kind of goes with just how I was as a player, obviously kind of being undersized and underdeveloped. I always had to try and find a way to give myself a competitive advantage. So I really started buying into it um, towards the backhand of back end of my college career. And it was just it just started just writing stuff down to where hey this is how I felt today, or just when I had that like alone time in the cage, you know maybe at nighttime you know we had an open cage and just go in there and just work on some stuff and okay hey this felt good, um, and this is what I need to work on based off of you know last weekend series or whatever it was, just jotting stuff down so I can remember you know, what I was feeling so I could have something to, to where I could revert back to, okay, Hey, I had a great series, you know, last weekend and, you know, I felt really on time. Like, what, what was I doing, you know, that week during practice? What was I doing, you know, even before the game? So just having stuff that's on paper that I could refer back to, I knew it was going to be beneficial. It wasn't going to hurt me just by taking the 30 seconds it took to write something down. Um, but in terms of developing the journals that were and the notebooks that we're offering, it, I really started to see the process of it come to fruition in, in professional baseball because we're playing every single day. Like there's so much data that could be thrown into, um, you know, just a notebook to where I could refer back to it. And it really started to take form. I played in this independent ball league it's called the uh the uspbl and there's four total teams in the league and we're playing almost every single day so essentially you know we're playing three different teams so i was able to you know kind of teach a pitcher how to do it when i was playing if i was on the bench you know i just kind of did it for the whole team and just started taking you know that time afterwards to consolidate some statistics or some certain tendencies that i was able to find and it our whole team loved it because, you know, we weren't getting scatter reports or anything like that. It was independent baseball, but that's kind of where it started taking shape. And after my, my playing days, I kind of went back and was just reading through these notes I was taking, you know, during the games and during the at bats. And I figured, cause I was a hitter, obviously I figured, Hey, I can probably design something that's a framework to where I could, you're, you're essentially, filling out a coloring book or filling painting a picture of, of your bat instead of like writing down, okay, timing was off or, you know, this guy has good fastball. So I tried to develop something like a template, if you will, and put it in this one little notebook 
to where you can have it with you the entire season. So that was kind of the inspiration behind it. And, you know, after my playing day, it was a good way for me to kind of stay involved with the game. So I tested it out with a few different people and, you know, they started loving it because the flow and the process of it, you're able to get tons of information about your at bat and you're really not writing too much information down. You're essentially, like I said, you're essentially painting a picture of your at bat. Um, so that was kind of the inspiration behind it was initially me trying to create a competitive advantage for myself. And then that kind of led into my independent ball team. We were creating a competitive advantage for our team. And then after, after I, um, hung them up, I knew I could pretty much consolidate everything and try and make it for an individual person to create a competitive advantage for themselves. And I, I kept a notebook uh, in college as well. Uh, I would actually track like 10 at-bats in a row. Uh, and I, mine was more results-driven, and I know we're not supposed to do that, but I think it allowed me to be able to track 10 at-bats at a time and then flush those 10 ABs and focus on my next 10 at-bats. Yeah. And so I think I was able to compartmentalize. And even though I was kind of focused on results, I think it kept me away from focusing on results because now I was now focusing on my next 10 rather than the 10 that I just had. And I did play college baseball for my dad and brother. And that was stressful at times. So I would use the notebook to journal as almost a diary as well. So, so not even just baseball-related stuff what was going on with me personally, what was going on with me academically, what was going on on the baseball field. And I think that allowed me to get some stuff off my chest. And you and I talked about that the other day. I think the the notebook itself, especially now with what's going on with coronavirus, there's some mental health benefits to journaling as well because you're able to get some things off your chest uh, where if you hold on to it, that's not not healthy mentally either. So, you know, I think there's some added benefits to that side of it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and part of the inspiration to that I didn't really touch off on was that, you know, I'm looking at, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Shark Tank fan. I love that show. Yep. And when when these guys come and pitch an idea, like, obviously, these guys are very successful, all these Sharks. And the first thing they do is they whip open their notebook, right? Like exactly. these guys are all <laughs> these guys are all taking down notes, whether it's you know the the process of what these guys are offering in their deal. But I guarantee you, they're they're writing simple stuff down too, and it's kind of their you know their their thought process, their emotions. Um, and there's so many different benefits of keeping a notebook, whether it's you're keeping a schedule for the week, whether you're kind of writing down, you know, what's happening during your week, whether it's, you know, your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings. And because you're, you're forced to forced to put your emotions in the writing, you can process these thoughts and feelings at like at a much deeper level, uh, rather than simply thinking about it. And like you touched on, you know, carrying it with you, you know, through your day or through your week. And, you know, there's just so many added benefits. So like I was saying, the inspiration was like, okay, I can, take this, but apply it to baseball too. You know, baseball is such a mental game. And then you're also adding the benefit of, of writing down data and writing down what's happening during your bats or during your innings pitch during your bullpens, you know, during your cage work. And I think it's a, you know, if you're, I'll use a hitter example, just cause I was a hitter, but it just helps you become more detail oriented and you're going to have to become more detail oriented at each level you progress during your career. 
And I think it kind of assists in building a consistency within yourself and knowing what, what kind of player you are. And, you know, I think just the added benefit of journaling or keeping a notebook is going to help um, you develop as a player in the long run. And it helps develop some routines as well. You know, things that are working, things that exactly. maybe aren't working. And, um, you know, it, it does allow you to be able to hone in on, you know, I would stress to the players that I coach, like, hey, write all this stuff down because there's going to be good weeks and bad weeks. And if you have a really good week, it's it's something nice to have to be able to go back to. And then we got a lot into the time management side of things. So the time management planner that I was having our guys do, there was a journaling section to it. And I would tell them, hey, I'm not telling you to do this. It's just an avenue to have. And the guys that, that really bought into that side of it, they were more productive on the field and more productive in the in the classroom. And I think healthier away from everything too, just because they were able to get some stuff off their chest. You know, some of the teams that, that you're working with right now, you know, who's using the, the notebook? Um, let's see. So, I mean, it varies across the board. Um, the good thing about the notebooks is that I, I, I tried to create something to where you know, each individual person can that can add their own style to do it. Like I did, I wanted to make sure I didn't say like, Hey, this is how you hit, or this is how you pitch. You know, you follow this, this process to get a result. Um, so that was kind of the main thing is developing a framework. So, I mean, there's, there's kids that are using it at, you know, 12, 13 years old and all the way up to the big league level. You know, Michael Chavis is using it on the Red Sox. We're, we're working with uh, the entire Colorado Rockies organization. We work with the Royals as well. And then just Power Five Conference college programs, you know, mid-majors, Division One, um, a couple of Division Two programs. So pretty much everybody across the board um, in high school and, and travel ball organizations or college development organizations as well. And I think that just speaks to the the simplicity of, of what the framework is and in, in um with the interior pages on each notebook, you know, that it is so simple that, you know, a little eager can use it. And then at the same time, a big leaguer can use it, but they're both able to grasp and, um, you know, grasp and, and take away from what's happening just by using the notebook because of the simplicity of it. You know, and just reading through your bio and everything, I think you get both sides of it. But I want to ask you kind of as a devil advocate, um, you know, is it a grind if you're really passionate about it? That's a good question. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I don't think it is. Yep. I don't think it is because if, you, if you're passionate about something like obviously our passion is baseball. That's why we're still doing what we're doing today. And, you know, every time I think about my, you know, my playing career and when I talk with my buddies who – you know, hung them up and played, you know, we're fortunate enough to play professional baseball. Like everything you're doing that's quote unquote the grind is is like the true blessing of of what you, you're able to do. Like, yep. yeah, pl- playing the games and stuff like that. Like I miss, me personally, like I miss the grind. Like I miss the bus rides, the eight-hour bus rides. I miss coming, in, coming to the yard, you know, after you get in at, at night at 2 a.m. and you get it, get to the yard at, noon or one o'clock and you go to the cage and, and you have another game the next day. Like I miss that stuff the most. And that's, that's kind of the, the way, you know, I wanted to name, name the brand, you know, always grind. Yep. Um, but, and it's going to, if, whether you're in baseball or any other sports, like this grind's going to apply 
your ability to grind or your ability to have that consistent work ethic is going to apply to whatever you do after the fact. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I don't think it is a grind if you are passionate about it. And I would try to stress that to parents and players in the recruiting process as well. Like you have to love all the, the little parts of this. Like you have to really enjoy it. I, those were the, the players that always had good careers because it, regardless of their talent level, when they showed up, they always ended up having good careers because they loved every aspect of it. They, and not just the baseball side of it. They loved the school side of it too. They, uh, you know, and, and whether they truly loved it or not, or could be able to fake it and, and find, find some love in it, even like if it's a professor that they didn't necessarily enjoy, or even a coach you didn't necessarily enjoy that much. Um, again, find, find a little bit of that love for it. And, and part of that is putting the work in. I think if you do put in the time over and over, you're going to develop a little bit of that passion for it because then it becomes a, a really good ingrained habit and a positive habit because you're able to work through it. And I, that's the best thing for me about the baseball culture is I think it ingrains really good habits for people to be successful later on in whatever walk of life they decide to do. That might be in baseball or out of baseball. There's not too many guys that I played with or that I've coached that were really good on that side of it that are not successful right now. Like 99% of those guys that I played with or had coached along the way that really bought into all of that and enjoyed it, they're extremely successful right now. Yeah, and I think that just speaks to how how difficult the game is that we play. Yep. I mean, you know, everyone knows it. You know, you, you're three for your ten at the dish, you're a Hall of Famer. If you're able to do that over, you know, 10, 20 years, you're a Hall of Famer. So it just speaks to how difficult the game is and just being, you know, thrown at with failure on a consistent basis. Like, you're going to have to react in some some form or some way. So whether that's you reacting, hey, I need to go take a you know another hundred swings to try and fix this thing that you know I was struggling with in the game, and it's just you know how you react to adversity, and I think that's why baseball is such a special game and why it's so intertwined in in our country and you know kind of what we stand for. It's because you know the, the failure rate's enormous, enormous, and it's all about how you bounce back. So I think that like you're saying, it just really speaks volumes, like. You know, you had players that really would grind it out, if you will, or guys that are willing to do whatever it takes to succeed. And then they move on with their lives after the game. They still they're still involved with the game. But, you know, they're they're applying their things they learned in their 20 year career or 30 year career playing baseball just to a different aspect of life now. Yeah, and it is the American pastime for a reason because of that, because guys like you and I that are undersized can play at a high level, or you have your guys that are monsters that can play at a high level. Like, it's, it's all sizes, it's all shapes, it's all backgrounds. You have rich kids, you have poor kids, um, you know, any in, any nationality. Like, that's the great thing with baseball is it, we have all kinds playing it and, and playing at a high level. We have all kinds that are coaching. We have all kinds in the front offices. Uh, you know, it's just, it's the American pastime for that reason. Uh, you know, it, it, anybody can can be involved with baseball. And, you know, this is, the the I think, the greatest time for coaches out there because there are so many great resources. And you and I also have another common bond with independent baseball. And I know you're around in brief, but I do want to give Greg Taggart a shout-out because when I got done playing – 
baseball at Evansville, I was able to hook on with the Otters. So I did have a whole summer with, with Greg Taggart. And you and I talked about that before we, we started recording. Independent baseball, to be a manager at that level, I think has got to be hard. And Scott Laverty, who's the head coach at Chapman, was the assistant with the Otters that summer as well. So I got a chance to know him back back then. And that's a great example of you never know with baseball who you're going to meet along the way that you're going to maintain friendships with. But I thought Greg had a great demeanor for me personally because you were either dealing with a guy like me who never got drafted and didn't play organized baseball, but then you had guys that were in it for a long time that just got released. So you're dealing with nobody being happy playing, but he he allowed us to have joy for playing, even though it maybe wasn't exactly where you wanted to be level-wise there was some joy for playing for him. And I know you played for him brief, but I did want to give Greg a, a shout out for that. Yeah. In, in my short stint, I mean, I was very fortunate enough, you know, after my college <clears throat> career to go undrafted and then in a short period of time after the draft to go, you know, latch on with the rail cats afterwards. And, you know, it put a lot of things in perspective for me as well. You know, what I needed to work on at that level, you know, cause it's still professional baseball in that league. It, you know, the American Association, like you were like you were saying, you know, there's guys that are getting released that are coming in, you know, the next day after they get released from, you know, double A, even triple A baseball. And you're just you're in this like melting pot of, of different types of baseball players from all over the country. And the one thing I respected with with Coach Taggart was he was always very honest and open with me on what, you know, what his team was and how I was able to fit in there. And then even, you know, when I got to the point where I was released, you know, he was very open and honest with me, you know, what I, what he felt I needed to work on to play, you know, for him again. And even after I got released and was playing in some other leagues, you know, he always touched base with me and kept an eye on me. You know, if there was a time he was, you know, ready to pull the trigger, you know, he was always making sure that I was ready to come back and play. So, yeah, he's a he's a first class professional, and you know he's created a, a great program in Gary. And uh, you know, like you're saying, shout out to him. So I appreciated him giving me my first professional baseball opportunity. Great example of treating people right, because when I got done playing, when I would when I was coaching early, I would coach in the summer. So I had five summers of summer coaching. There are a lot of guys along the way that either played for me in college or in summer ball that ended up playing for Greg because of how he treated me, because he treated me right, and I felt like he was extremely fair. I had no problem when Greg would call me and ask about guys. You know, I'd have guys that would get the opportunity to play professional baseball and then would get released, so Greg would call because he knew I either coached them or, or had coached against them. And so I had no problem recommending guys to go play for him. And also, I was going to send him guys that I felt like would fit in, whether it was a pitcher or a position player that I felt would fit in with, with what he was trying to do as well. And it's just a good example of trying to treat people right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, just speaks volumes to, you know, like we were talking about, you know, Rich Price, Skip, you know, earlier and now, you know, on the professional side of things, Coach Taggart. The reason why these guys are able to do it for such a long time is because they have developed relationships with so many different people, whether they played for them, whether they coached with them or against them. And it's that respect level. And, you know, obviously there's some competitive nature to it. But at the end of the day, if you're a respectable coach, you know, people are going to go you know, outside the box to try and help you out. Your and I's uh, baseball path is very similar from a player standpoint. 
Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, Undersized but, underdogs. That's right. It's the best way to do it. I'm <laughs> happy it actually worked out that way for me. So, yeah, uh, I wouldn't have. Tra- I would not have changed a thing uh, with with my baseball experience. You know, even I got I got to end when I wanted to because Greg wanted me to play again the next summer because I was a utility guy for him because I could play all over the field. You know, college, it was mostly second base, a little bit of left field. But in summer ball, you know, I played in the Cape. Um, and then for tag, I played every position on the field except for first base and catcher or oh, and pitcher. So, like, I, he just rotated me around. And so he did. I, I was coaching at Evansville still. And we played in the Fresno Johnny Quick Classic. And he was out there kind of scouting for – he was doing part-time stuff for the Pirates – and, but also, you know, taking notes for guys that might be able to play. And he and I are sitting there talking. He was like, you don't want to go play again next summer. I was like, tag. I like, once I got into coaching, I got out of training and I, you and I are probably similar. I had to spend so much time training just to, to play at that level that once I was out of that routine, I was like, I just don't think I can do it anymore. Like at the level I need to do it when I'm coaching. Cause I, I just, I was all in on coaching. So it, once I made that decision to coach, like I was done playing. Yeah, it's tough. Like you were saying, you know, you had to work so hard to like maintain yes. staying at the competitive level. Um, it's It was kind of like when I was playing for tags and then playing in other leagues, like there was something that that wasn't that I needed to work on. And like it's, uh, it's unfortunate how it kind of ended for me. But, you know, I was able to actually get an opportunity with the Texas Rangers in spring training and that was like by far the best I was. I worked with like so many different pro guys that worked with big leaguers and stuff like that. And it was literally the peak of my career, but I didn't get any opportunity after that. You know, I had a good workout, the Rangers and stuff like that, but there's just no room. And, you know, they're drafting guys and more guys are coming in. So like, you know, it's understandable, but the out, kind of, outfield uh, position is so hard that the guy, you know, when I was at Iowa, I would recruit the national scene. So I would go to perfect game national and you would see the, the, like the first round high school outfielders. You know, you look at the draft, a lot of the first round high school guys position wise are outfielders and they are absolute freaks. Oh yeah. They're, it's, they're six, five. They run a six three sixty, like they throw a hundred from the outfield, and it's like God, it's so hard to make it at that position. You know, there's a lot of them, but then they're they're absolute freaks. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> especially at the pro level. If you're yes. an outfielder, you, you got to be hitting 10, 15 bombs at least. <laughs> exactly. And that wasn't me, right? So <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, the good thing was I I did play short and second too, um, but a lot of people didn't see me because I, you know, I wasn't a you know, Javier Baez or anything like yeah. that with love. So, you know, they didn't see me projectability wise, you know, going deep with that. So it was just like, I was almost stuck from a position standpoint. And then obviously I'm not hitting 20 bombs. So it's, I yeah. can't like, you know, you can't put me in left field. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is, but I'm just that much better from it from a learning standpoint of how it, you know, how these guys view players and, you know, hopefully when my kid, is playing hey you're playing second base and you're batting left-handed and then maybe if we can put you behind the dish too we'll we'll teach you how to switch hit so you can have a, a solid path to the big leagues well i caught all the way up until high school and i i loved that position i just wasn't good enough once i got to high school i had to switch and that helped me because i 
I ended up playing second in left field in college, but yeah. I loved catching. Like I loved it. Um, I would have, if I could have stuck, I would have stayed back there. Cause I loved being on every in on every pitch. I loved blocking like all, all parts of the game I loved, but it helped me when I was a coach. Cause then I was able to call pitches later on, even though I wasn't really a pitching guy, I was still able to call pitches at a couple yeah. of places that I was at because of that, because I, I loved setting guys up and I loved that side of it. Uh, just as much as the offensive side of it. But, yeah, I, I loved the catching position, loved it. Yeah, my, my parents, when I got done playing, they went to a triple-A game in Louisville, and slow roller, shortstop comes in, throws on the run, throws a guy out, and my mom looks at my dad and she's like, that's why Ryan wasn't drafted. <laughs> God bless her. So. That's good. Hey, that's a baseball family, right? There. Yes, it is, and 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 truthful. You know, honest, being honest about abilities. That's hey, that's it probably helped you along the way. Yeah, it did. Yes, awareness it did. is huge. Yep. Where can people find you if they're trying to reach out to you or they want to look into the notebooks? Where can people find you? Yeah. So our website is www.alwaysgrind365.com. Um, the name of the business is Always Grind. You can. Do a simple Google search and our, our stuff will pop up. Social media is just at always grind three six five. Um, the contact and information, you know, it's it's all me. So you guys can DM me on social. You guys can shoot me an email um, if you want to learn some more information about the notebooks. And if there's any high school coaches or or high school players that are listening on to this, you know, during this time we were able to develop kind of a, a cool recruiting resource for people. It's completely free and it kind of just summarizes the recruiting, um, you know, the, the recruiting journey that you need to take. And uh, there's some awesome keys and tips in there as well to kind of have you take ownership of the recruiting process and um, what you need to do to kind of stand out from the crowd. Um, like, like we kind of touched on earlier, you know, we're working with all different types of programs. So, I'd be happy to, you know, answer any questions anybody anybody has about our notebooks and how they may be beneficial to, you know, individual player or a program. Um, and yeah, so that's 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 pretty much how we're able to stay in contact. Um, and my once again, my name is Joe Maroney. So w when you're shooting out emails or DMs, just say what's up, Joe, and you know I'll try to get back to you as soon as I can. And thanks again for, for investing the time here on Easter weekend. Uh, you know, and, and anything else you want to add before I let you go? Uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, obviously wishing the best of health and safety to everybody out there. Um, I can't wait for the dust to settle and everybody's fired up to get back on the field or even just fired up to get back to work. Um, and definitely a trying time for everybody. But, you know, I, I always, during this time, I try and, um, you know, to tell people and even tell myself, you know, tough times don't last, but tough people do. And, uh, you know, I'm just really fired up for everybody to rise out of the fire. <laughs> I think we're all going to come out better out of this. Yeah, you know, we're dealing with a lot and people are going to deal with stressful situations different. But uh, I think we're all going to come out of this a little bit better in a lot of different ways. Uh, and just uh, same thing. I'm going to, I'll, those sentiments as well, like stay safe, everybody. And thanks again for, for jumping on here with me, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, I appreciate the opportunity and, you know, we'll, we'll stay in touch and, you know, I'm excited to possibly do this with again in the future and, uh, yeah, take care. Happy Easter to you and your family and, and everybody out there as well. Happy Easter. 
And uh, yeah, if any other questions, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Um, I will be on the other side of it, returning, returning the message to you. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, Joe. All right, Ryan. Take care. Hope you got a lot out of this episode. I think there's a lot of real-world applications for journaling uh, on the mental health aspect of it and physical health aspect of it. I know it helped me a lot as a player to be able to journal and stay in the present moment uh, with at-bats, but also get things off my chest. I feel like it's a a healthy and productive way uh, to get things off your chest, uh, whether things are going well or or not going well. Uh, It's a great resource to use. Just like anything else, it's something that you got to do every day. Thanks again for listening in. Uh, Again, this is Ryan Brownlee signing off from my basement in Macomb, Illinois. Pulling for everybody to get through this. Uh, Stay safe. Stay healthy. Thanks again. And remember to leave it better for those behind you. Thanks. I don't have